Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and you're joining us for the second in a uh, multi-part series looking at the signs in the Gospel of John. We're going to be reading from John 4 this time around. Before we go any further, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we put ourselves in your hands and particularly in the hands of your Holy Spirit. We want to not just listen to words spoken, but have our hearts and minds moved by that spirit within us. We want to be transformed so that we are more like the people you made us to be. And so we ask that we will be attentive, not just in our mind, but in our spirit too. Be with us, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to start uh, this reading from John 4 at verse 39. This comes immediately after Jesus' encounter with the woman at a sacred well in Samaria. Talking to Samaritans, so not Judeans and not Galileans, but a different group at this point. Um, Just after he's introduced himself to the woman, she then goes and tells the community and they come out to listen to him. So it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. After the two days, he, that's Jesus, left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So it's probably worth just reminding ourselves a little bit of what we learned in the first session. We spent a bit of time in that session looking at the Gospel of John as a a wider piece of literature and how it's organised and how it works and maybe something of what it tells us. But before uh, we do that little recap, I did want to introduce a little quote from one of my favourite stand-up comics, 
it's not just a quote in fact it's a it is a sermon in his words so milton jones is a stand-up comic you may have seen on uh, things like mock the week occasionally he does sets on live at the apollo things like that and he's a christian and he's written two books of 10 second sermons that's what he's called them and one of them says this if becoming a christian is just about changing your culture and language i may as well become a norwegian slightly different uh, approach but still worth considering as we go into this session sean bean the actor said sometimes all you need is a big leap of faith so did you know and probably you didn't because i didn't until i did the research that of all the uses of the word believe in the new testament john's gospel has one third of them that is if we look in the niv version john's gospel is a lot about giving evidence so that people would believe indeed at the end of that gospel not in the last chapter but in the penultimate chapter in chapter 20 he says i've written these things down so that you might continue to believe that jesus is the son of god and that you might have life in him so john is really interested in giving us information uh, evidence things that point us to who jesus is and what that means for us this is why there's so many references to the word believe and it's interesting because when i went looking i was looking for the word faith and it didn't come up as often as i thought it did so i thought i'll look at the word believe instead and i remembered that uh, in john 3 16 verse with which lots of um, disciples are very familiar it says god loves the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not die but have life in its fullness so it seems that for john the word believe is the one he wants us to to get hold of the gospel is uh works on many many layers and in and in little um circles and patterns and lots of things like that uh, but it's big on the identity of jesus the prologue that's the the bit at the beginning john one talks about who jesus should be understood to be and uh John uses the concept of the word, which we looked at last time, is originally a Greek word, logos, which is to do with sort of an organising, rationalising principle behind the universe. And in that prologue, Jesus is identified as the word and as being one with God the Father. So John spends some time, particularly in the first half of his gospel, bringing to our attention some signs he doesn't call them miraculous signs or signs uh, and they are miracles but he doesn't tell us about every miracle he tells us about the ones that he thinks can give us information that we need um, so very often he's looking for signs that explain or express or give evidence of something and you'll have noticed at the end of the passage that this is referred to as the second of those signs Let's have a little look at some context uh, in literary terms. So we've, we've gone from the beginning of chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4 for our second sign. And in between, some interesting things have happened. Jesus has turned over tables at the back end of chapter 2, and actually does that in the temple. Uh, he's then spent some time having a meeting after dark with Nicodemus, who's a, a Pharisee, a Jewish teacher of the law. 
Uh, and then from there, he's gone into Samaria. Now, Samaria is an area occupied by uh, people who were moved in, who migrated into the land uh, that the Israelites had occupied after the Israelites had been taken away into exile. So that it is their home territory. They've been there for, for generations, but the Israelites didn't see them as being part of the people of Israel because they were incomers, not um, originally from that area, I suppose. You might put it that way. And so there was a, a not particularly healthy relationship between those two communities. Something, something a little bit like... Um, I suppose racism was happening where because they didn't belong to the same uh, <clears throat> culture and heritage um, Jewish people would often look down at Samaritans they were often referred to as dogs so Jesus has had uh, encounters interviews if you like with Nicodemus and with a woman at a well in Samaria it's a sacred well so a well where Jacob is said to have provided water for his livestock so these are representations of institutions in Jewish thinking, the well and the Pharisee, the rabbi, Nicodemus. Uh, and then from those experiences where we, we've told about, we then come to this moment, this episode, where Jesus encounters this royal official. So <clears throat> as we're looking at those things, it's worth considering a couple of possibilities there is some disagreement among scholars as to whether this royal official is Jewish or not uh, the text isn't clear to us and there are some pretty um, determined voices that say both things uh, in one way if we look at the option that this official is Jewish then we're perhaps looking at that individual as someone who represents the tendency that Jesus' own people had to be looking for miracles rather than looking for the person behind those miracles because the official came and said I need you to do something for me I know that you can do miracles I know that you can do wonders I want you to do some do a wonder for me for my situation the other uh, perspective is that this official wasn't Jewish he was Gentile and there is some suggestion that we see a development of priority or um, that's not priority is the wrong word uh, a, a direction of travel if you like so you might recall uh, late in more than one of the gospels there are references to the good news being spread to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth so Judea Samaria and Gentile world beyond it and so the argument goes that this uh, official uh, because because those who assume he's Gentile would say this is how it works Nicodemus represents the good news being shared with uh, the Jews in Judea that's the woman at the well is representative of Samaria and the Gentile official is representative of the rest of the world and so that the good news is going to those three locations through these three encounters we also see uh, that there's a point here where John, the, the writer, wants us to recognise that Jesus has already identified that a prophet has no honour in his home town. Now, the Greek is a little bit unhelpful because that word for hometown could also be home country. So it's not clear whether 
what John wants us to notice is that Jesus hasn't received honour in Judea when he's been in Jerusalem in, in late chapter 2 and chapter 3 or whether he's without honour in Galilee where he's just arriving or whether it's a combination of the two uh, and that both episodes say something about how Jesus is better received in Samaria around the well and with the community in that village than he is in either other place. So <clears throat> plenty of things to to hold together in our minds as things that don't necessarily need resolving we don't necessarily need to decide that it's one thing or the other but we can see that there are things for us to learn from the different perspectives that we might bring to it and it is quite possible that some of that has been deliberately left a little bit open by the author so that we're able to think about more than one thing this does seem to be a tendency for John he, Mark likes to really zone in and say this is exactly what happened and this is what it tells us. John, it seems, likes mystery and likes us to do some of the thinking work ourselves. Okay, let's have a look at some points to note from this passage. So we see that uh, we get Jesus staying for the extra days that the Samaritan community want him to stay for. So they said stay for two days and this later section starts with after two days. Now, I've just wondered whether we should be reading that that's another way of expressing a third day reference here as life comes on the third day. Another another foreshadowing, maybe an echo forward uh, of the resurrection. Just maybe. Uh, but we do have in this episode with the boy being healed, we do have uh, a life from death situation. So the way it's phrased, um, you might remember the royal official comes and says, my son is on the point of death. And then life comes moments later. So life from death. On the third day, maybe. Uh, we have this reference to no honour, a prophet having no honour. We've mentioned this before. Uh, we see it mentioned in Matthew 13 and in Luke 4. So it's, there aren't many situations where we see similar wording uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke as we do in John. But this is one of them. And... Um, we might also notice that we're back in Cana at this point, so same place that the first sign happened, the water into wine at the wedding um, happens there, and we're back in that same location. It, it may be worth thinking about how the things that are included within this um, you know, first, first and second visit to Cana, how they might be grouped together and might be understood in one. There's also acknowledgement of something of the community that Jesus lived in. So you might remember that uh, it says that the Galileans welcomed Jesus because they'd been at Jerusalem and they'd seen him do uh, miraculous things um, when he was in Jerusalem for the festival. So that tells you something of how this was a community that made that pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem together. The whole community would travel together. I've often wondered about the security implications of that, and I wonder if maybe some people drew the short straw and stayed home to sort of watch over livestock and property, but we, we never get any information about that. It's just me wondering. Uh, we might also notice that the royal official says, come down to Capernaum from Cana. So the, the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, is below sea level, and anything on the shore of that lake it's going to be downhill from pretty much everywhere else around it and Cana was up in the hill country so he was saying coming down come down to Capernaum by the lake uh, it's also worth noticing that uh, in 
chapter 2, um, verse 23 to 25, we get some reference from Jesus to the, the way that people seem to need signs in order to be able to believe. And uh, in verse 48, let me just flick upwards to that so I can have a look at it. Uh, Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. There is a, a recognition from Jesus that belief isn't going to come from what he says, but because they see uh, miraculous, incredible things happening. The other thing I want to um, point to is in verse 50, where it says the man took Jesus at his word and departed. So this official comes and asks Jesus to do something. Jesus says, you guys are never going to trust and believe unless I do things. Um, but ultimately, Jesus doesn't go with him, even though he asks twice. The official says, please come and, and begs him to come. And Jesus doesn't. But he does say, I will put this right. Your son will live. And a couple of flies kicking around here. And uh, the official then has a choice to make. Does he just insist that Jesus make the journey or does he take Jesus at his word and put his faith in him without having seen what is going on without being able to get concrete evidence that it's working does he just take that step of faith and believe you might remember Sean Bean quote from the beginning Sometimes all you need is a big leap of faith, and it must have been a big leap for this guy to say, well, he said my son will live, so what else can I do? I'll take him at his word, and I will go home. Now, there are lots of ways in which we can look at how that kind of belief, that kind of faith, works, and you'll be relieved to hear that the, for me at least, low-hanging fruit of a reference to Kung Fu Panda is not something I'm going to rely on this time, even though there's a marvellous moment when Master Uguay says uh, to Master Shifu, uh, promise me you'll, you'll put your trust in the panda that he will be able to save us. And you've got to believe, if you don't believe it's never going to work out. So I'm not going to go anywhere near that illustration because there's plenty of uh, Kung Fu Panda references elsewhere in the things I talk about. What I might do is refer to arguably just as cliched a representation uh, from the Indiana Jones uh, film, uh, the third film, which the name of which has now completely escaped me, um, where there is a moment where it looks for all the world to, to Indiana that he can't step forward there's a big chasm in front of him he needs to get to the other side but it's too far and it looks like there's no way for him to go um, but there's something in his instructions that talk about faith so he puts his foot forward and steps onto what he couldn't see because of a uh, optical illusion he couldn't see was solid rock under his feet um, so he takes that step of faith he can't see it's going to work but he takes the step anyway and finds that his faith um, is justified. So I'm not. I'm, I'm going to perhaps suggest that Indiana Jones is is the best of uh, those two. Well, I, I can't really count the Kung Fu Panda one because, as I said, I'm not going to mention it. Uh, so there are there are ways in which our culture looks to describe what it means to put your faith in a thing or a person because that's the thing that makes sense to do or or that's the only path available to us even though it looks impossible there's a, a quote 
I'm just going to see if I can find it quickly. Um, yes, Martin Luther King says, faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. There is a, a sense in which faith is really only at work when there isn't a wealth of evidence that tells you it's going to be okay. All you have is the faith. I remember a, a cat poster from when I was uh, younger, growing up in my family home, that was a kitten clinging on with two claws to a line of rope. And it said, faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. Do like a good cat poster. Um, so there is a sense of uh, that's how faith works. If there is evidence and it's not really faith anymore, and so faith is never really put to work unless you're taking risks. Because if you're not taking risks, then you already know it's going to be okay. And then it's not really faith. And that is why we started with the quote that we did from Sean Bean. I also want to highlight that Jesus um, finds different responses to his message and his presence. So in, in verse 29, so this is when Jesus is encountering the Samaritan woman and the community with her. He has an encounter with somebody who sees and listens and then leads that woman to questions about faith and ultimately to faith itself. So she sees and listens and it leads her to find out or ask about what's going on behind the immediate visual or audible experience it's not it's not signs and wonders have convinced me it's signs and wonders lead me to ask questions in verse 45 once jesus has arrived in galilee we find a slightly different thing i'm just gonna you see my finger there as i look for the right reference on my phone when he arrived in Galilee the Galileans welcomed him they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival for they also had been there so they welcome him because they've seen what he's done not because they know who he is or because they believe in him because they see what he's done they're coming effectively for the show and this is troubling to Jesus I'm going to borrow another one of Milton Jones's 10 second sermons, which says this. A lot of organized religion seems like a man who was told that the only thing he could give God was to be found in a mirror. So he went off and made God a hugely elaborate ornamental mirror. It is sort of ridiculous, isn't it? That, that very often we kind of know what Jesus is talking about, but we allow ourselves to get distracted by something that isn't him but maybe points to him or that isn't him, but maybe is the response he's asking for us to give. And it's worth digging underneath our immediate reactions and our responses and our instincts to know in ourselves what it is that we're responding to. Is it the Jesus who can do incredible things or is it the Jesus who says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So, having looked at all those things, we find ourselves needing to ask uh, some key questions. First question is, what kind of God do we find out about through this passage? Well, I'd say, uh, and helpfully, John in John 1 has already identified for us that Jesus is God. So we see what God is like by looking at Jesus, and we see that he is compassionate, even when he's not sure that there is any faith, or there's no faith at all. The, the man takes him at his word 
But when he first arrives, he's asking for a miracle. So Jesus shows compassion on a man whose son is close to death. And he doesn't do it because the man already believes. That belief comes later. So we have a compassionate God. We have uh, a God who is interested in hearts changing. He's not impressed, Jesus is not impressed, by a people who are coming along for the show. What he's impressed by is people who want to know him and to have their understanding of the world transformed, to have their understanding of themselves transformed by Jesus' encounter with them. So, God is interested in changed hearts. Thirdly, what kind of God? Well, it's a God who's not limited to place. Jesus doesn't need to go to Capernaum in order to heal this boy, to bring life where the boy's at the point of death. He doesn't need to go. He's not limited by place. He is able to exercise his power and his authority everywhere. Voltaire, French writer, some time ago, historical guy, said, uh, wrote, faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. Again, that official had decided to believe, despite the fact that he had no reason to, other than reputation. He turned back, headed back to Capernaum, and didn't really know that things were okay until his servants reached him on the road. I want to um, I want to quote a guy called Gary Burge. He writes a uh, uh, commentary on John's Gospel. I've been reading several, but there's some stuff that he wrote that I think was worth just bringing to your attention. So he writes this. It's faith that turns miracles into signs. So in both cases, at the wedding at Cana with the water into wine, and now with this encounter at Cana again with the healing... The miracles themselves aren't what John is trying to tell us about. What he's trying to tell us about is that the faith that springs from those changes people and the circumstances around them. You might remember the first sign finishes with the disciples putting their trust in Jesus. And this sign finishes with the official trusting Jesus word. So, Gary Burge goes on to write, This is where the story finds its deepest meaning. Miracles were a natural part of Jesus' ministry and led people to faith. See chapter 10, verse 38, if you want to. But Jesus is more than this, and he expects more. He looks for men and women not only to believe in his ability to work a miracle, but especially to believe in him. That's the kind of God that we find out about in this passage. And then we've got to say, so what? If that's the kind of God, so what? What do we take away from this? Is it wrong for us to expect miracles? We have a sign in the sanctuary that says we should expect a miracle. And I don't think that's bad advice. I think we should have a faith that says God will come good. But maybe we need to not see that God is a miracle worker so much as the organising principle behind the universe he works miracles but that isn't what defines him what defines him is that he is god and he is the lamb of god and he is the savior of the world 
Jesus in chapter 3 talks to Nicodemus and then the author afterwards gives us that John um, John tells, says us in John 3.16 God loved the world so much that he gave his only son he loved that world he loves this world and he loves these people all 7, 8 billion of them how many there are in the world now and all those who've come before us there is no end point or running out of love that is the God that we have so maybe instead of thinking of Jesus as ultimately a miracle worker we see him as the one who makes sense of who we are and how we are the one who makes sense of justice and of mercy the one who makes sense of all the things that make no sense otherwise the one who's able to put right the world in which we live Milton Jones for the last time writes this having a Christian faith cannot be like paying into some sort of pension scheme where you get eternal life in exchange for an hour of boredom every week it has to be more like being a part-time lightning conductor you imagine how that official felt walking away from Jesus having not persuaded him to come and only being able to take him at his word this is the Jesus that we're encouraged to trust and follow this Jesus John tells us is one who is compassionate who wants to see people come to believe in him he doesn't want people to turn up for the show wants people to put their trust in who he is and allow themselves to be changed by him transformation is at the heart of this and it's important I think when we look back and see um, the responses in both these cases that in the first with the first sign what happens is that you have Jesus disciples putting their trust in him and in the second sign you have the household of this royal official putting their trust in Jesus and in between you have an entire Samaritan village deciding that they believe in Jesus let's pray and then let's ask our questions Lord Jesus would you help us to be ready to believe in you not just to see what you can do but to ask how you want us to be to ask how we might walk closer with you to find out who we could be becoming with you in our lives Amen Okay, you'll probably notice that the tide behind me is dropping. Uh, I'm not too far away from the lighthouse at Watch It. Um, and it's been lovely to be here in the shelter, at, slightly out of the little breeze that there is, and enjoying um, a dry part of the day. Let's ask question one. In verse 50, we have this. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. So here's the question. Can you think of a time when you've had to take Jesus at his word with nothing else to go on? Question two. 
Verse 51 says, while the official was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. This official had uh, help in reflecting on what had happened. He had people who said, think about it. Or they said things that helped him think. What happened? How did those words of Jesus actually play out in the end? So who are the people in your life who prompt you to think back over your experience of God's word? Who are the people who prompt you? And if you're not sure who they are or you're not sure you have any, then now is the moment to say, I'm going to find somebody or some people who are going to come back and, and, and say to me, so how did Jesus' words work out? Question three, right back at the very start, I used a Milton Jones quote that said this, if becoming a Christian is just about changing your culture and language, I may as well become a Norwegian. If being a disciple of Jesus isn't just about changing our culture and language, what is it about? And how does that work day by day? What does that look like tomorrow and the day after? Thank you for being with us. It's been great to share from John 4 with you. We'll be going on and looking at more of the signs in the weeks to come. For now, just wanted to leave you with this thought. What if our walk with Jesus is way more than just a pretty faith? What if it's actually about what happens in the depths of who we are? How is that depth different now for you than it was when you first knew Jesus? And how is that depth going to be different in the months and years to come? God bless. I'll see you soon. Take care.